What's going on everybody? Today's podcast is going to be with my friend Leticia. Now this story is crazy. Um, I loved talking to Leticia and I may actually talk to her again in the future. Um, Her story goes everywhere from being with a drug addict to being stabbed, traveling multiple countries and starting a relationship at 14 years old in Bermuda. So there's a lot that goes on in here, so you may have to listen to it a couple times. She's an amazing woman. She's accomplished a bunch, and she's proud of who she is and where she comes from. Um, I really hope you enjoy this one. Go ahead and subscribe and like, follow all of the things. But more importantly, just make sure that you give Letitia some love and you follow her. So everybody, I want to welcome you to Letitia. <laughs> oh man all right leticia it's amazing to finally get you on here uh, i know we talked a little bit before about your story and i'm super excited to kind of dig into it a little bit more i know there were some things that i did have questions about when we talked originally um so hopefully we can get to those as we go through this conversation um why don't we just go ahead and start off by introducing yourself kind of telling everybody who you are and what you do and kind of just really start digging into everything yeah hi everyone my name is Leticia. i am originally from bermuda i am currently living in the uk where i am a mindset coach and a business foundation strategist and i am dedicated to helping women get their mind right so that they can see the success and fulfillment that they desire in their lives nice nice and uh that is not a normal nine to five job that you just kind of fill out an application (laughs) and start doing how did you get into that that's that yeah okay um So I was in commercial insurance. I've been in commercial insurance for 14 years. I was a catastrophe modeler for uh, Lloyd's of London Insurance Syndicate. And I was working in insurance for 14 years, like I said, and absolutely hated it. But I had gotten a full scholarship um, from Georgia State, um, from an insurance company in Bermuda. And I really had to kind of stick with it. You know, I had this bachelor's degree in insurance and risk management, and there was, what else was I supposed to do? Um, But I realized very early on that I didn't like it. And I was kind of stuck because moving from Bermuda to England, I took a 60% cut in pay. And that's being in commercial insurance. If I did anything else, my initial narrative would, I, I wouldn't make enough money. So I stayed there miserably building my career. And um, I recently had two kids back to back and there was a real need for me to find fulfillment and purpose. And in that process, I fell into coaching. Um, I used the coach many years ago. And that transformed my life. And I've always wanted to be in a position to give back. So 
I, I headed into coaching with the thought that I would do it part-time. And eventually I got tired of being at that nine to five, dealing with a whole lot of disrespect as a black woman. So I decided to go into this full-time. And when I went into it full-time, I added the biz, business foundation strategy because I also want to help other women leave their soul-sucking careers behind, leave the plantation, as I like to say it, and move on and find fulfillment in themselves. That, yeah, I, I love how you can you said the plantation. Um, I, I remember like the first time we talked, you brought that up, and it made so much sense to me that it literally feels like you're going, you're working for somebody else's dream you know, and you're not actually working for yourself. That's a, exactly. yeah, that was a, it was a big eye opener. And when you said that I was actually going through and still kind of am going through like a career change and getting more into like my desired field and mm-hmm. that it's scary to step away from something that you were doing, you know, it's going to be there forever and, or not forever, but you know, the check is going to show up and everything and kind of actually stepping out onto your own. So that in itself is amazing for you to even kind of start off on that but how did you get to that point so like i mean we started off you're in bermuda and why don't you just kind of start your story there and uh let us know kind of how you got from bermuda to london working as an insurance agent and and now a life coach (laughs) yeah so my story starts in the humble beginnings of Bermuda and I was told at the age of seven that I was the cause of my parents' divorce. That was a big moment in my life, seven years old, defining moment for probably 20 years. And that created a narrative for me that was very dark and heavy. I didn't understand that comment. I processed it as if, well, shit. <laughs> I like, wow, I broke up my family just by being born. Um, yeah. And it had me questioning who I was, my purpose in life at seven. I felt unloved. Because both of my parents had remarried and both of their spouses made it known that they didn't really want me in their lives. So I had an an amazing family. My mom's family is amazing. They supported me as much as they could, but I was left feeling empty um, because number one, I split up the two people that meant the world to me. And number two, they've moved on and married people that do not like me. And I grew up feeling like I was in between two families. My father's wife had a son and my mom had two young children with her husband. So they both were raised in family units and I was kind of in the middle and you know, I started acting out. I wanted attention because I was not getting the attention that I was kind of like used to. Um, I started acting out. I started doing whatever I could to get me the attention, good or bad. And as I grew up, I, crazy enough, 
created a reputation for myself because I was very outspoken, very forthright with how I felt. And, you know, I was raised in an environment that children should be seen and not heard. So how dare I be so vocal and be this big personality? So I was constantly being shoved in a box by the people that were around me. And as I grew, any attention that I got outside of that circle meant the world to me. So, you know, grow up going through puberty. I had a nice little shape at 14. You know, I wish I can get back to that shape now. <laughs> but I was attracting the wrong kind of people. And I met this man that was 28 years old. And I was actually introduced to him by a friend who was probably a year or two older than me, who was actually dating his friend. Um, and I met this guy, you know, I'm struggling with my relationships with my parents. And here is somebody who, in my opinion, was my knight in shining armor. I didn't have to go home after school. I can go to his house. That was my escape. And initially... I saw nothing wrong with it. And probably for years, I saw nothing wrong with it. Because in, in my country, in my culture, it's not abnormal for older men to be with young girls. Like I knew a lot of girls my age that were dating guys in their 20s, early 20s, late 20s, it didn't matter. Like girls my age were happy to have men in their lives that were giving them money, you know, buying them alcohol, somewhere to go when, you know, you, it was a problem at home. And so I was quite proud of what was happening. And because, like I said, that was my safe haven, when things started to go south for me, I didn't want to expose that. So, you know, I met this guy, I'm telling him everything about myself. I'm telling him about what's going on in my household, you know, how I was feeling. And he started using that against me. So he would say things like, well, you know, I'm, I'm saving you. I'm rescuing you, rescuing you from that, you know, and I can look back on it now, you know, cause hindsight is always 2020, but I can yeah. see how I was being groomed to, be this person this man wanted and because I wasn't old enough to um intellectualize what was happening I I didn't realize the shifts that were happening with my psyche and with my emotions I became dependent on this man because home life was crappy and he he always created that space for me to be myself. Um, and he was controlling. He was jealous. If you can be jealous of a 15-year-old boy, he was jealous of a 15-year-old boy. He was very controlling. He used to give me money, but then control what I spent the money on. And in my head, I've got these things, I, you know, I've got a nice purse. I've got somebody coming to pick me up in a car. I don't have to catch the bus, you know, to and from school. Like he bought me new sneakers. He bought me jeans. Like I had everything that I wanted. This had to be what life was about. And I remember being 15, 
just before 16, he choked me for the first time. He had found some information. I, you know, I don't even remember exactly what it was, but he found some information that made him jealous. And I had gone to his house after school one day in my school uniform because we wear uniforms in Bermuda. And I remember walking into his room and being choked from behind immediately. I didn't even know what was happening. And I remember in that moment being so terrified because what's happening here, right? Yeah. Funny enough, I knew he was a violent person. I had just never seen it. And the reason why I knew, my mom found out about him very early. And she knew his age she decided to do a background check on him. And she found out that almost every relationship that he had been in ended in some sort of violence. Most of the women that he had relationships with had taken out restraining orders on him at some point in time. And I remember her giving me that information. And I was like, girl, you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) That's not him, you know, crazy girls, you know, they like the D that's why they're getting crazy. You know, like that was my attitude. (laughs) You couldn't tell me anything, but I remember that moment when he choked me the first time, like, oh my God, this is for real. Like this guy is crazy. And I laughed. I walked away from that relationship. I knew then that that's not what I needed to be in. Right. I was spending so much time up his house that like I had clothes up there. Like I was practically living there. You know what I mean? And so I remember packing a trash bag with stuff, trying to leave his house and taking that trash bag to my uncle's house in absolute tears. And he's like, what's going on? And I couldn't tell him. I didn't want to tell anyone that everything that they had told me about this man was true. I didn't want to be wrong in that instance. So I moved back home. I spent time with my mom and the relationship between us was very contentious. I mean, I was a teenager. You couldn't tell me anything. And I already had resentments by, from the way that I was treated by my step parents that I really, really despised my mama in that instance. So anything she said to me sparked me. And I remember after several months being there, I got into an argument with her over the phone. My, my boyfriend had called, another guy I was seeing at the time, he how had old called, are you this time? Uh, 16, 16 okay. 17. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was an argument over the phone call. And her husband came out to have an argument with me. He joined in the argument. And in that moment, I was like, I can't take this anymore. I just want to die. I just, I honestly just want to die. And my mom's husband was like, oh, you do? Okay. <laughs> calls my sisters into the kitchen, calls my mama back into the kitchen. And it's like, she's going to kill herself, guys. Turns on the lights, makes a big spectacle. Like he literally mocked me in that moment. And I took, I remember taking a handful of a leave, 
swallowing it with water and running out of the house. I don't remember how long I was going, but I remember my mom coming and, and was like, I can't believe you did that. Like, why would you kill yourself? And in that moment, I was like, well, how could you not understand? Like, why would I want to take my life if I was happy? I'm not happy. So we went through periods of, I, I went to psychologists, psychiatrists, family therapy, all sorts. And nothing was really resolved. I had a chip on my shoulder. I felt unheard. And I remember having a conversation in family therapy one day. My mom was there. My granny was there. My father was there. And I remember saying how I felt, how alone I felt. And my father got up and walked out. And that was the last time I spoke to him for a very long time. But anyway, moving on, you know, get back in the house. I'm constantly arguing with my mom and we had a really big fight. I ended up putting my hands on her. And I remember a couple of days later, I came home and there was a registered letter. So I had to go to the post office and pick it up. And in that letter was a message from my mom's lawyer saying that I was no longer legally allowed on her property. And if I returned, she had the right to call the police to have me removed. So here I was, I was still a minor. I had nowhere to go. I wasn't talking to my father. I, everyone in my family knew, on my mama's side, knew I put my hands on her. So nobody wanted anything to do with me. What was I supposed to do? So I did what I knew to do. I called this man and I was like, listen, I have absolutely nowhere to go. Can you take me in? And he did. And this and that is the came, guy that you were already with at one yes, point? Yeah. Yes. So um, this is the guy that had choked me. So he took me in and I paid a price from the very beginning. He let me know, you know, I saved your life. I'm the reason why you got a roof over your head. And um, immediately put into like submiss a submissive role. Um, you know, that went on for years, but I loved him. That was the only thing that I knew love to be other than, other than family love. And for me, because he did take me in, he did put a roof over my head. I felt for some reason I owed him. So I eventually married him. Um, just before I went 19, I married him and the abuse was apparent the whole time. I just never told anybody. Once we got married, however, the abuse got a lot worse because now I belonged to him. I owed him my life. I owed him everything that I was. And at that period of time, I was working for law enforcement. I was a customs officer for seven years and I was working there dealing with a lot. Like I um, hid the fact that I would be up for two to three days at a time because I was literally being tortured at night. He would go out and drink and come home and douse me with alcohol and tell me if I move, he will set me on fire or he would pour water in my ears when I was sleeping so that I would wake up or like I was literally tortured at night. I had to have sex with him and he wanted to have sex and I had to put on a very happy face 
around others. And there were times where, you know, we used to fight. I, I won't ever say that I was a person that didn't fight back. I always fought back. And there were moments where I wanted to call the police, but because I worked alongside the police as a customs officer, there was a lot of shame. Um, coming from a small community, everyone knows everyone and people sm- spread your business faster than they spread the flu. So for me, I did not want people using that against me. You know, I, I put on a big front, like I'm a strong woman, I've got my life together and I couldn't let anyone know that when I go home at night, you know, I'm literally crying myself to sleep every day. And um, yeah, so, you know, years went on. I put on a happy face. I was a person that my friends always used to come to. They looked up to me because, okay, at this point in time, I have been with this guy for almost 10 years. You know, you look like you guys are such a happy couple. My friends used to come to me for relationship advice. And I remember one of my closest friends calling me one night. My husband wasn't home and I was a bit concerned about that. (laughs) But I wanted to help her because she was in an abusive relationship and she called me. She didn't know what to do. And I remember her. I remember picking up a book. I was, I'm, I really like Ian Levenzant and I picked up a book called until today. And in that book, I like randomly opened the page and started reading a passage to her. And the passage was people are in your life for a reason, a season and a lifetime. And the reason why we have so much contention in relationships is because we are trying to keep people in our lives that were only there for a reason. We're trying to keep them there. And I remember reading that to her and it was almost like an aha moment because I wanted out of my relationship. And it was just like a further validation that I'm not going to get out of this situation unless I let him go. That night, he came home extremely drunk. He had my cell phone, um, which had inappropriate messages on there. I had been talking to somebody that was (laughs) showing me attention. You need an exit plan, too. (laughs) Yes, right? Yeah. Showing me attention. He followed the text messages. And he came home raging. And I remember when he came in the door, he went into the kitchen and picked up a knife. And I was like, well, what the hell are you going to do with that? You know, like, what are you going to do with that? Not thinking that he was that much out of his mind that he would use a weapon against me. But in that moment, I knew that if I don't do something right now, I'm going to die. Like, there's a moment like, you know, you have years and years of abuse and you, you see a look in their eyes. You get used to that look. Yeah. The look I saw that night was something I had never seen before. It was full of hate. And there's no other way to describe it. And I remember picking up the phone and calling my mama. And I said, you need to come get me. 
you need to come get me tonight otherwise I'm gonna die and he ripped the cord out of the wall it was a landline yeah so huge fight ensued we were actually living with somebody at the time and his friend managed to come into the room that we were in because he barricaded us in this room and his friend managed to break through the door and get me out but in the commotion I didn't realize that I had been stabbed I remember the knife coming towards me I don't ever remember being touched by it I don't remember experiencing pain. And I think when his friend came in is when I saw my blood. And it, even in that moment, I didn't feel pain. I just felt warmness of the blood running, right? So his friend was very concerned about the police being cold <laughs> and literally threw me out the house. Like, you gotta go, you, you got to go. And within minutes my mom pulled into the yard like it, it was just how everything happened it was almost like movie like so once he saw that someone was there to get me he started throwing my stuff out the window <laughs> and it was raining the yard didn't have grass like my stuff was in mud and I remember just like trying to pick up as much as I could and put it in my mom's car and um where were you stabbed at during this whole period? I was stabbed just underneath my breast and in my arm. Oh, my God. Yeah. So we got into the car eventually after I still try to fight him. <laughs> this, I, I'm, I'm laughing because you, you realize how much you do with um, adrenaline, right? Like, I was still trying to fight. Like, one thing I will say, whenever we used to have fights, his I'm sorry to me was to buy me Louis Vuitton. So when his throwing stuff out of the window into the mud, I'm concerned, where are my Louis Vuitton purses? Like that was my mentality. Where are my Louis Vuittons? So anyway, we managed to get away and I didn't want to go to the hospital at all. I didn't want a paper trail in that moment. I did not want my colleagues to know that I had been in that situation. That's what I was concerned about. I didn't well, have, you have two holes in your body. Right. Okay. I, I yeah. was not concerned about that. My mom was like, you need to go to the hospital. I was like, if we can stop the bleeding, then I can just go to the doctor tomorrow. I'll go to the doctor. I'll, I'll go to the doctor. And we managed to stop the bleeding. Luckily, they were not deep, deep wounds. But when I got to my mom's house, I remember her saying to me, okay, so what are you going to do now? Because you can't stay here. So like, even in my darkest, I felt so unsupported. And I end up moving into a shelter through the help of the police. I eventually had to go to the police and report it. Um, I end up moving in. How long did you go in between like being at your mother's to like reporting it to the police and all of that? Within hours, because oh, I okay. literally had nowhere else to go. She was not like, she was like, he knows where I live. If he wants to come here, he will. And you cannot be here. 
So within hours, I was taken to the police station wow. um, and dealt with. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's... And, <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, so, yeah, they put me in a, in a shelter, which was... Its primary purpose was to house domestic violence um, survivors. But there was no one in the shelter that was a domestic violence survivor they were actually using it as a homeless shelter for disadvantaged women so when I got there I was the only one there that actually was in the shelter for its reason and luckily enough I say luckily enough because I don't think I would have been in a position to share a room with anybody so they put me in my own section because of what I was dealing with and I stayed there for several months as I tried to get on my feet um so yeah I went still went to work I heard a lot of rumblings because you know going to the police station it was reported to my job and people on my job at the time disseminated that information um it was definitely spread throughout my department almost as a joke for some people and you know I spent a lot of years in shame even I, I eventually got a restraining order and then filed for divorce. But even filing for divorce, even though I knew I was walking away from abuse, I felt ashamed. I felt like a failure because I couldn't make my marriage work. I couldn't hide my abuse well enough because now people know what I've been through. And, you know, for years after that, I tried to rebuild my life. And it was very difficult for me because I think up until that point, this is the first time in my adult life that I had ever been alone. I had ever been self-supporting. I ever had to even pay a bill. And faced with that reality, in my mid-20s, it also hit you with, well, who are you? Up until this point, I was either someone's child or someone's girlfriend or wife. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what my identity looked like outside of those labels. And I struggled with a lot of shame, a lot of resentment, a lot of guilt even, um, because, you know, I look at I put myself back in that situation is the narrative that I used to tell myself all the time. Like you put yourself back there. You knew what it was and you went back. So I didn't like myself, to be honest, you know, and I spent a lot of time hiding my disdain for myself through showing up loudly, being the center of attention, drinking myself to a stupor almost every night. It got to a point where I literally used to carry a flask with me. When I used to go into work, I used to work at the airport, 24 hour shifts. Like we used to have day on day off when I was working. And I literally would be out until four o'clock in the morning drinking to make eight o'clock the next morning. And when I would get to work, my co-workers would give me altoids. And it wasn't because I was hungover because I was still drunk. The hungover came like three o'clock in the afternoon, you know, when in, you're in the middle of processing flights and stuff. But that was my life for years. Um, I have always known 
that I'm, I'm meant for something else. And I didn't enjoy being in law enforcement. I want, I wanted something to challenge me. So I went to school. I applied to school. I wanted to be an actuary of all things because I am highly intelligent, even though I hide it from the world <laughs> quite often. Right? I don't really think hiding it really constitutes announcing it to the world <laughs> <laughs> that you're highly intelligent on top of the fact that you just went through an entire <laughs> lifetime for most people. And now you're trying to figure out like the thing that I got from that is like a lot of people get that chance to figure out who you are when you have a bubble behind you, you have like that safety net, you have a support system. You're trying to figure out who you even are as a person, let alone where you're going. And yet you still have the mindset of you're an extremely highly intelligent person and and, and you're hiding it. No, I, and but that even has a story, if I'm honest with you. Okay. I learned to hide my intelligence at a very young age because I worked, it was discovered that I was working well beyond my age group. And at the age of nine, they wanted to skip me several years. They wanted to skip me three years. And my mom made the decision, no, you stay with your age group. So I was kind of forced to dumb myself down even then. That taught me an important lesson. You don't show everybody how intelligent you are because it's not gonna serve you. Um, so that was actually a narrative that I carried probably until I started my business. I don't think anybody ever realized how intelligent I actually was because I literally learned to dumb myself down to keep people around me comfortable. I love you. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's just, it's amazing how like, it's, it sounds you had a horrible upbringing and it doesn't sound like your mother helped out at all. It's what, what is the relationship with her? Is that still, is there any relationship? Did you guys ever come around with that relationship? Cause it, you had a shitty life. Let's just be honest. Let's call it what it is. That it, it fucking sucked. And yet you're this highly intelligent person trying to figure everything out. You're being held back. Did she not want you to succeed? Was there like it's there's got to be something there that she's not wanting you to get ahead in life. It's like holding a racehorse back. You're like you're just wanting to go and every step you're taking, you're just being held back. I think my mom did the best that she could. I know that in, in this moment, there are things that she probably does, does regret in, in relation to me. But I know I have a great relationship with her now. She's a person I speak to like three times a day. Okay. Best, she's my best friend. And But the reason why we were able to get to that point is was for her to take ownership of the path my life took. You know, at the end of the day, my decisions were my decisions and I don't, I give away my power by blaming someone else. I take ownership. I, do I take ownership for being stay up? How? No, that wasn't on me. But I, in order for me to heal, I had to not wa watch somebody else's big, if you, you understand. That's yeah. her shit to carry, not mine. 
do we have a great relationship now? And I do believe that she did the best that she could in that moment. I think she thought she was saving me from putting me in an environment where I wasn't ready for mentally, like being in being nine and being put into high school would have been like, we don't have middle school in Bermuda. So if I would have been moved up, I would have been put into high school. And I think for her, knowing the environment, I don't think she wanted me to be around that. I think she depended on the educational system to ensure that I got what I needed. But for years, I mean, I had teachers along the way that saw my brilliance and worked with it. But for years, I was labeled. I was absolutely labeled as a problem child because I needed to be challenged. And I wasn't challenged in the traditional educational um, environment. Yeah, that that makes sense. It, it sucks that like you almost have to rely on the education system also to be your social circle to be able to kind of bring you up. So like for her to hold you back for that reason, completely, I get that, unfortunately. Like I, I hate to say that, but I understand that part of it. Um, I'm yeah, obviously not educated on the Bermuda education system over here. Like, so I'm in Michigan in the States and um, we have, you know, we have the middle school. We have that kind of like, I don't know how to say it. It's, it's almost some parents use this like a daycare system or like socializing, you know, so for you to not, or for her to want to skip you ahead, I get it. Um, unfortunately, it kind of sounds like it bit you in the ass in the end a little bit. <laughs> um, um, but the fact that you're able to actually realize that you are a brilliant, intelligent person and you don't, you seem it's not cocky. That's it's it's like a confidence thing that that you're putting off. Um, I don't know. I, I like it. Just but all right. Yeah, keep going. Sorry, I I, I ruined your flow. I gotta I gotta keep hearing this. So I decided to go off to Atlanta. Like this was an opportunity for me to just press restart, find myself, start a new career, and hopefully life will you know, kind of shape up. And I got to Atlanta on a full scholarship to Georgia State, um, studying actuarial science initially. And then I met this guy. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And of course. Of course. Yeah. And because, you know, I was still, I hadn't addressed those validation issues that I had, you know, this, that self-love self stuff that was going on as soon as someone I was I was lonely I didn't know anybody besides my roommate so as soon as somebody else paid attention to me hi how you doing right <laughs> so I met this guy it was a fast and furious romance and I moved in quite quickly um because the situation with my roommate became a bit toxic um so I'm living with this guy who, after I moved in with him, I realized that he had a coke problem. Initially, like when I first met him, I thought it was like he was a DJ. So I thought it was like, okay, something you do while you're DJing. 
I don't judge. Like it is what it is, right? Right. Um, probably very naive to addiction. Not probably was very naive to addiction at that time. Um, the only evidence that I had seen was alcoholism. So I never really had been around people that were using like hard drugs. And I like I grew up smoking weed. So for me, that wasn't like that's not a drug. But I had never even seen cocaine outside of the customs rule that I had. Like I had seized cocaine, but I had never seen it outside of that environment. And when I moved in with him, like practically gave up my apartment and moved in with this guy, that's when I realized, holy crap, this guy has a problem. Like he literally, all he does all day is snort coke. Like, wow. But (laughs) I was running away from another problem. My problem is my roommate. I didn't want to be there. So I stayed right? And I had talked this guy up, like, he's not a punk, like, he's producing music, like, like, I got a nice guy this time. I couldn't tell anybody that, holy shit, the next big relationship that I get into is with a drug addict. And I literally didn't know what was going on. I, like I said, had gotten a full scholarship, so I had access to money. I, like, I was probably making more as a student with full scholarships than I did when I graduated. <laughs> like I, I was okay. And he drained me of him as everything that I had because I didn't understand. I didn't understand the nature of addiction. I thought I was helping him. Like, you know, the story started. Oh my God, I'm going to be so sick if I don't get some Coke. Like the acting started. They like, And I didn't understand the level of mental dependency that addicts go through in that moment. So there were times where I didn't eat for four or five days because I didn't have money. Um, I used to get excited when somebody from um, my university will invite me out to lunch. And I always used to ask, oh, man, I I don't have my money. Like, I don't have my card with me. So like I literally used to go to school in hopes that somebody would invite me to lunch so that I could get some food. Um, I was living with him with no lights, no hot water, um, often no food. And anytime I, anytime someone gave me money or I got you know like this stipend from my scholarship, it went so quickly. But again, like, you know, you're living in absolute shame. Like, how can I tell somebody that after everything that I went through, I allowed myself to be back in this situation? And that went on for several years, actually. I went back to Bermuda um, for um, work. Um, As part of my scholarship, I had to work with this company. And I would go back. Um, home on the summer breaks and one summer I was like you know what I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna have amazing time my birthday's in July so I wanted to go back for my birthday and we had just before I left had just moved into a new apartment which my scholarship money allowed me to pay up front 
So the money was, the apartment was paid up front for probably six months. And I went back home to Bermuda. So I knew he was there. I was working. I was sending him money to supposedly pay the bills. And I decided to surprise him one day to, in my apartment, showed up, flew out there, showed up. And I walked in to this woman who I found out was his wife. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, I think after that, I really started thinking to myself, like, what the hell am I here for? Like, I keep going through some real bullshit. Like, it got pretty dark for me in those moments because... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Always, I felt like I was constantly being reminded of the stupid shit that I was putting. Like, I was literally putting myself in that position. I did not have to pay, you know, for someone's apartment. I had enough money to live on my own. But my emptiness had me craving attention, had me craving the need to be around people and be validated with people by people you know so I eventually graduated I moved back to Bermuda and um things were going wow you know I was finally getting on my feet like I was in a space where I'm like I'm gonna be I'm just gonna do me like I'm living my life and I felt like okay things are going pretty well here I feel like <laughs> you okay so wait a minute so how long was this guy married for? Years. Okay. And so you're gone and he just brings this. How did you not? I, guess I don't know how I don't know. Yeah. That, let me, I, when I look back at it, I was around his family. Like I was, there were times I didn't go home for Christmas. So I was with his family, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. Like they knew about me. I, wow. I, I, I would even say uh, they, these people are my family. That's how much time I spent with them. Yeah. So when I, I wasn't, I, when I look back at it, there was always like, well, is, was there a way that I could have known? And honestly, no, he lived like a single man. He, when I met him, he had just come up from Miami. Um, you know, he had come up, his story was he had come up to spend more time with his mom so perhaps, and I never got the full story, if I'm honest, perhaps they hit a rough patch and he moved up to Atlanta. I mean, he used to go down to Florida all the time, but I thought you're going on. He had a child down there. Um, so it wasn't like there were flags along the way. I had no idea. I had yeah. no idea. And it wasn't like we were hiding our relationship, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's it's for me. It's hard to hear. I've I've been a, a horrible person. I know we've kind of like briefly talked about it, but to actually like hear the other side of that story. Obviously, I've never been married. I just want to say that right now. You know, I've never been married and and done that. But uh, I I have cheated. You know, I have had like secret relationships. That's a life that that is so much stress. It's it, and to hear this other end of it it's hard for me to hear, you know, like not so much hard for me to hear is that I don't want to hear it, 
um but it's real and and it does happen and i feel like the general the general population of people that wouldn't traditionally have gone through something like that can look from the outside and judge very quickly um which is a horrible thing to do just because it's, it's really hard to actually know both sides and the struggles that everybody's going through. So just for you to make it out of that, obviously you made it out of it. You're here, um, which is, that's, that's just amazing. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just, I wanted to commend you so far and being able to get through this story. Um, and there's obviously more to it. So I'm just going to shut up and let you, <laughs> let, you, let you get back to it. I feel, I don't know. I just feel like I got to like add something to your story, but your story is just so amazing standalone that I should probably just shut up and just let you keep going. So <laughs> thanks Rob. It is. And you know what? I, there was a time that I couldn't tell this story. I couldn't, there will be too much emotions tied to it that I probably would have broke down and cried. I think the work that I've done on myself has allowed me to appreciate these moments because everything has made me who I am today. And I'm in love with who I am today. So I wouldn't change it for the world. You know what I mean? Like, I'm grateful that I'm strong enough to come on the other side and use it as part of my purpose. There yeah. are so many that can't. And I think because I have a voice, because I've always been that big mouth person, I think all of this is coming into focus. It's like bringing everything into focus. I went through all of this. I am who I am so that I can give a voice to those who don't have a voice. And I truly believe that. Like being able to share my story, I know there's someone listening that is going through it, experienced it. Don't oh, yeah. even know what it's going to look like on the other side. So it's rough, but I'm I'm grateful that I'm the superwoman I am. I'm gonna be honest. I'm grateful as hell for it. <laughs> and you look amazing too. For everybody that's not listening or watching, she has on the greatest glasses you will ever see. With I got a I didn't compliment you earlier. The matching earrings, the the matching earrings really set it all off. So yeah, you are you are looking powerful and strong right now. <laughs> Thank you. So I was telling you about moving back to Bermuda, marketing and insurance, and things mm -hmm. are like looking up for me. And then another guy. I met this guy. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> and I laugh because this story, this one means a lot to me, right? Okay. So I met this guy who I remember a couple of weeks before meeting him, I made a list of everything that I wanted in a man. Okay. I wanted a funny guy. I wanted a guy that could cook and clean. I, I want a guy that's going to treat me like the world that will listen to me, that will cuddle with me. And then I meet this guy like randomly. And I had seen him around, you know, Bermuda's kind of small very small, I should say. So I've seen him around. I didn't know much about him. He approached me and we hit it off. It was something about his sense of humor. I have a dark sense of humor. I love to laugh. And if you can get me laughing, mercy. <laughs> so, 
the first hour meeting him, he had me laugh and everything was great. And as if I hadn't learned to lesson about moving quite quickly, it was a whirlwind romance. Within six weeks, we had our own apartment. Like we both gave up our apartments and moved in together. And things were going great. Like I would say that up until a certain point, that was the best relationship that I had ever been in. Like I was literally happy. And then a family member died, one of his family members. And he had told me that, you know, he had used in the past. Mm-hmm. And although that was a flag, rare flag for me, because I had just come out of this situation with an addict. I knew how draining that was. And I I I, I was nervous, if I'm honest. And when his, his family member died, I saw an immediate change in him. And I very boldly was like, listen, like if you're going to start using, I got to go. I absolutely, I I can't do this again. And of course he lied. No, no, no. You know, I'm just processing the death and blah, blah, blah. Everything will be okay. And things spiraled very fast for us. Um, he was using, he was using crack cocaine and he, his whole personality changed, but I was like hooked. I was like hooked line sinker. Like it was no coming off of this line at this moment because for the first time in my life, I actually experienced something in a relationship that I actually felt was genuine. Like I wasn't coming from a place of need. I wasn't in turmoil that I was trying to escape something. So for the first time in my life, I was entering a relationship from a kind of close slate, right? And um, yeah, we went through a lot in a very short period of time. Long story short, he ended up getting arrested on his job. He was a chef. He ended up getting arrested on his job for stealing meat. And he had called me that day. I was at a conference at a hotel next to his job. And he said, listen, I have an appointment. I need you to go pick up this meat for me. And because he was catering at one point in time in our relationship, I didn't think anything of it. Let me go pick up this meat. And I get to the job and I go pick up the meat. And the security officers come. And they were like, we need to see that big. So I'm like, okay, her, you know, yeah. pretty good. Didn't think anything of it, but apparently he had been stealing meat for an extended period of time. So much so that his job had put cameras in the cooler where they kept the meat. So they literally oh. caught him red-handed and I was the one going to pick it up. So he got arrested, he lost his job, and I thought it was nothing else to it, okay? They got, ain't got enough to do with me, you know? <laughs> Until one day, I got a call from the receptionist at my job saying, the police are here to speak to you. What the hell they need to speak to me for, you know? Yeah. I was arrested on my job for handling oh. stolen property. Oh. And for me... Like, I don't, I don't get in trouble. Like, I've been through a whole lot of stuff, but I like my freedom. And in Bermuda, if you get, like, 
caught, like if you do time in Bermuda, you risk not being able to go to the States, right? So mm -hmm. for me, I liked my freedom and I like to travel. There is not many places you can go from Bermuda if you don't go to the States because there are three places the airlines fly to, the States, Canada, and the UK. And if you get banned from the States, more than likely you can go to Canada. Yeah. And I didn't want to have to travel all the way to England to then try to get to other places in the world. So I liked my freedom. I like to travel. And spending time in jail for me was the biggest eye opener. It was only a couple of hours, but it was enough for me to be like, girl, you need to get your life together. Like <laughs> this, like you can't, we can't do this again. Like we're yeah. going through too much nonsense. We like get your life together. And I, because, okay, during that period, I was really trying to get the guy that I was seeing help. And I had gone to um, a drug center and spoken to this woman who was a coach. She generally dealt with people who had drug and alcohol problems. But she said to me, she goes, I don't know you. I'm not supposed to do this. I'm not supposed to do this. But I see how broken you are. And I would like to help you. So after being arrested, after being forced to tell my mother behind glass why I had been locked up, and it absolutely broke my heart, I was faced with myself. And I remember talking to my mama behind the glass and she's saying to me, why do you love everybody else more than you love yourself? That was a huge slap in the face, but it was the slap to reality that I needed. And that began my healing process. It allowed me, I reached out to the lady, the coach, and I worked with her for several months, like just really trying to piece my life back together, you know? Um, and in that decision, I decided to move to England because I wanted an opportunity to really press restart like literally start over. Let me go to a country where absolutely nobody knows me. Nobody knows that I've been arrested on my job. Nobody knows that my boyfriend was bumming money from my coworkers, telling them elaborate lies. I can start over. And um, yeah, I moved out here to support my boyfriend um, in his recovery. We have now been married five years. He has been Lot twist. in recovery <laughs> for nine years. Um, and, you know, we've built a family around being able to restart our lives, like literally press reset. Like the best thing that could have happened to me was coming out here. It gave me an opportunity to Get rid of everything that I have been holding on to for so long um, and, and start over. And that is what started my like real quest for how do I turn all of this, this mess into something fulfilling? That, okay. I did not expect that. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, no, that's, um, you've actually, you've been able to turn all of this pain into experience and now positivity. 
-hmm. and now you have I don't know. It's it's amazing that like now you're you have a family, but you've earned every step of it. You 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 guys have to know each other in and out. And do you openly talk about like the dishonesties and like all the discrepancies in the relationship and the hard times? Is that stuff that you guys have had to go through and with therapy or through each other? Or how do you yeah, kind of work through that? We've had I think what it took for me, to be honest, was take some time to understand addiction. The To be able to walk hand in hand with him through his recovery took me developing some empathy. I couldn't look at, at it from a stable person's position mm-hmm. um, because it would have kept me angry. Um, being able to empathize with the struggles that he was dealing with that led him to want to self-medicate was important for me. Um, And I think that's what made a shift for me, like really spending time with the coach, understanding that process. We've had some really hard conversations and I I won't act like, you know, him getting clean, it it washed everything away. We had to work through things. Like I had to be able to get to a point where I can forgive him for some of the things that I went through. You know what I mean? Like my name was tarnished on the back of his actions in Bermuda and you know, for me, I needed a solid apology. I needed ownership. And I think sometimes throughout my life, there have been places and positions that I've been in where I just needed that. Like, I just need you to earn that your actions fucked it up for me. And I respected him so much because he was humble enough to do that. There are other people in my life that have impacted me negatively that can take ownership for it. And for me, I can't move beyond that. You know what I mean? The reason why my relationship with my mother is good now is because she took ownership, you know? So for us, it was him taking ownership, really wanting to move forward, really wanting to change um, that allowed me to be able to support him in those moves. Yeah. Well, that's that's amazing. That's also very admirable. I know um, I've actually had to go through like the recovery process and, and myself, I'm still in, I guess you would call it like the recovery process. It's a, it's a process that never really ends. Yeah. Um, it's just this constant cycle of working on yourself, you know, being cognizant of everybody around you. And the biggest thing for me is being humble and not having an ego get in and being open and honest. So to have somebody to be able to do that with such as yourself that for him that's got to mean the world um and definitely it, it's had to have strengthened your bond you know significantly past what what i would think a, a traditional you know marriage would go through but i also don't know what that looks like to judge um but it does sound like you've taken all this pain and experience and now you're on the other side of it and you're the coach now, and now you have the business and you're helping people. Can you, can you kind of walk us through how that started? And you were an insurance agent and then, uh, what normally happens is a white guy will piss you off and then you have to leave. And <laughs> it's the truth. And so, and so, yeah. Do you, do you mind walking us through that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So I was a manager. I was running um, 
I was running an offshore team out of India, actually. And um, I ran on maternity leave. So I had two babies back to back in three years. I was out of work for 18 months because out here you have up to 12 months maternity leave. And in that period, I was just like, I don't want to go back. The first time I don't want to go back. I went back to absolute chaos, right? (laughs) I spent 18 months cleaning up the shit that happened while I was going. And I was bitter. I was very bitter about that because I built the team. I built the team. I built the processes. I trained the team. I managed the team. It was my baby before my baby was born. Like this was my blood, sweat, and tears. So I came back first time, bit of a chip on the shoulder, having to clean up the mess because it felt like a F you in my face, if I'm honest. Yeah find out I'm pregnant again and my immediate fear was oh shit I'm gonna have to come right back to what I'm dealing with now and (laughs) six hours after giving birth I received of my second child I should say I received an email on my personal account acknowledging the birth of my child calling my child by name and then asking me about work (laughs) and that pissed me off yeah like not only have you stressed me out throughout my entire pregnancy both times you have the nerve to send me a message after you acknowledge the birth of my child so I said then that if if there's anything that I can do to get myself out of this and it wasn't going to be a short term fix. I didn't think, oh, I'll start a business tomorrow and I'll, I wouldn't have to go back from maternity leave. I just wanted something to secure myself so I can start building some money so that I can get out. Right. And I remember telling people, you know, I, I don't know what it is, but I just want to start a business. And two people within 24 hours made comments about how much I helped them just by listening. I'm like, wow, how can I make money doing that? (laughs) And I was reminded of the coaching. It, It immediately brought back the coaching and how much that lady helped me change my life. She didn't change my life. She was open, honest, and blunt with me, which had me reflecting on my actions so much so it changed my perspective and ultimately changed the way that I viewed life. And that to me was like amazing. If I could do that to someone else, then all of what I've been through actually makes sense, right? So I, I, I spent time during my maternity leave getting certified. I mean, I did whatever I could. I am a junkie for knowledge. I like to say like, I, you give me knowledge. I'm like, "Ah, yes. (laughs) So I like took in everything. I'm a sponge. I just love it. And I was like, yeah, this is it. This, this is it. So I started life coaching before I went back to work for my second maternity leave. Um, and I started growing my business then and it felt amazing. But then I went back and it was like Groundhog Day. It was almost as if I came back to maternity leave as it was t- two years prior. 
end, the chip on my shoulder became a huge ass builder. I was angry <laughs> because now I have two children <laughs> and I'm still got to deal with this bullshit. I, I was angry. Yeah. And I came back to a completely different team. And I came back to additional people with chips on the shoulder. And I just literally was not willing to continue to take it. Um, it's interesting. I, I spent five years as a manager. And as a manager, I was never allowed to make decisions. My, my boss sabotaged me at every step. For five years, my career was about saying, I told you so, because he failed to listen to me with everything. And when I came back, I was telling him, I was like, listen, we are in dire, dire situation here with what's going on. If we do not address this, this is going to be two years ago on repeat. This is like Groundhog Day. And he com completely shut me down until... November of last year when the shit completely hit the ceiling like it was it was such a big problem because he had ignored it for months and I was left cleaning it up and I was so mad at that so now it was like I'm making money on the side why am I putting up with this yeah um but I didn't want to walk away because like I wasn't making as much money as I wanted to be making you know what I mean so like sit there and put up with it for a little while longer until your business really kicks off until one day I got into a meeting and a white guy pissed me off <laughs> yeah um I was cursed at I was called arrogant I was shouted at and I put him in his place very quickly good for I'm you. an island girl I don't I don't deal with that shit yeah right? good for you and I got off the meeting and my boss told me, you were the reason for the tensions in that meeting. And I was like, would you say that to me if I was a white man? Would you say that to me if I wasn't a foreigner? Would you say that to me if I wasn't black? No, they would have would said you good for you for sticking up for yourself. Yeah. yeah, like, are you for real? Yeah. So um, that was right before Christmas and I resigned the first day back. So, you know. It's been forward ever since. And that actually birthed a new area in my business because I'm really, really passionate about people leaving the plantation. Like, fuck what you heard. Like, you are not supposed to be giving away your time and your, your energy and your mental health for a paycheck. Like, if people do not respect you, then you got to teach them how to treat you and walk away from that. So many times we stay in situations, relationships, bad, bad friendships, um, bad situations at work, and it diminishes who we are as people. We need to learn to walk away. We need to learn to put ourselves first. We are here to live for us. At the end of the day, we only have one life to live and we cannot continue giving that away, giving our time away, giving our energy away, giving our sanity away um, to keep other people comfortable, to keep other people happy as we walk around miserable as fuck. Yeah, um, yeah. No, yes, I think too. I think that's the biggest thing that this the pandemic has 
really brought out is that you can go work for somebody else's dreams your entire life and for no fault of your own it can stop in an instant and now you're just left with all of that stress and agony and trust in something that you have no control over and now you're alone and this whole big you know if you want to call it the pivot you know that everybody's calling it now like the to pivot but what's really going on is like i feel like people are starting to realize you can do your own thing and that mental health is a huge issue and that you have to be happy um you don't have to work for somebody else you know and like in in a lot of cases that's perfectly fine you know going and working for you know a, a law firm or an insurance agent you know like those positions are needed and a lot of people find that those are extremely fulfilling but taking that risk and that jump to actually put yourself first and kind of going back to what your mother told you when you were in jail of, you know, you love everybody else. Why don't you love yourself, you know, or like love yourself more. And that does play a huge factor in where you work and what you do. You know, I mean, like if you're in bed for eight hours and you're at work for eight hours, it's 16 hours. Those are two things that you really need to make sure that you're happy with. And and for you to be able to acknowledge that and go through all the pain that you've already gone through with relationships and family and and then work and still grinding and making those like crucial pivots to to put yourself ahead. That is very admirable. So thank you for, for sharing this story with you so far. Um, so the, your business has started right after Christmas. We're kind of coming up towards, we are, you know, halfway of the year. How is business going so far? Is it everything that you wanted it to be aside from like the obvious struggles of, of starting things yourself that come with everything? It's been amazing. So I started my my business actually 18 months ago, but I revved things up once right. I made the decision to resign. Then I resigned, I pivoted, I pivoted into like the business coaching element of it. And that is doing really well. Like I launched a new program, which I sold out within 24 hours. Oh, that's amazing. So I feel like, you know, you as you go, you grow, you make adjustments. I feel like this is exactly where I need to be in this minute. Um, and I'm enjoying every second of it. Yeah. Yeah. That that's, that's amazing. All right. Well, I think I've taken up enough of your time. I've kind of heard most of your life story. I'm sure there's plenty more that, that can be heard in the future. Um, so why don't you just go ahead and kind of like let everybody know where we can find you, your website, uh, social media handles and everything like that. I can be found at Black Rose Coaching. Black is spelled B-L-A-Q-U-E, Rose Coaching, on Instagram and Facebook. I'm Letitia at Black Rose Coaching. Um, yeah, connect with me. I love starting conversations. As you can see, I like to chat. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, connect with me. And it's um, blackrosecoaching.com. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. I genuinely appreciate it. And yeah, I hope everybody goes and checks you out. So, thank you. All right. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too.